Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Today is Monday, January 6, 2019. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered. What in the hell is going on in Mississippi? Where a lot of things are happening in the prisons there. Rioting, escapes, subhuman living conditions, and several folks who have died in the past couple of weeks. We'll talk with folks on the ground, including the parent of someone who was in one of those prisons. A new report shows that artificial intelligence will replace a number of African-Americans in the workforce. What in the hell is going on and what can we do about it? Also, if the amount of money raised is any indication, Jamie Harrison just might be able to give Lindsey Graham a real run for his money in South Carolina. We'll explain also on today's show. Yep, another crazy-ass white person. This time, who works for a pizza place pissed off about his tip. And also, millions turn out in Iran for the funeral of their one of their top generals. The question we still have to an- answer is, what's going to happen? Are we going to see an escalation Martin. 
of war in the Middle East. It's time to bring the funk. I'm rolling back on the filter. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fat, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. Folks in Mississippi, prison, prison inmates have taken to social media asking, pleading for help. In the last week, five inmates have died during riots. The inmates say were started by the prison guards who themselves are gang members. They were also able to get this video out showing the deplorable conditions at one prison called Parchman Prison. Man, them folks took us out of 29, man. MSP 29, man. Put us in 32. Condemned. This motherfucker been condemned 10 years, man. Look at the flow, man. And they just up and put us in here, man. Look at the flow. All the water in the flow, man. You trying to flood out. Look at the mildew everywhere, man. On the things. Ain't no running water. Mildew everywhere. Paint coming out the wall, bro. Mildew everywhere. Black mold, man. That's, that's black mold. You can't even breathe that shit in, man. Look at the paint, bro. Look at this shit. This shit condemned, bro. We ain't got no running water. We ain't ate. And we ain't ate in 10 hours, man. We ain't ate in 10 hours. Get cold as a motherfucker, hell, man. Look at all that black mold, man. Ain't nobody got no mask. Ain't nobody got no mask. No mess, bro. We sleeping on straight concrete, man. No mess. Look at these, these no guys. Power. No mess, no power. No power, none of that. Water everywhere, man. Water everywhere. No running water, man. No running water, period. Spiders out of the sun. Look how old this shit is. No mess, man. We ain't got to see them. No showers, so we've been here. No running water, man. But look, meal do everywhere, man. Who in the town they doing? Uh, Benny Thompson, he is the, of course, uh, the only African-American in Congress from Mississippi, sent this tweet out on yesterday. Go to my iPad, Henry. Uh, Tomorrow, I will be requesting that the U.S. Attorney General 
launch an investigation into the ongoing failures in safety, security, health, and environmental standards within the Mississippi Department of Corrections. This is unacceptable. Now, Mississippi's correctional, correctional system is on statewide lockdown as staff attempt to re regain control of the prisons. Joining me right now to talk about what's happening in Mississippi is my son. Uh, he, of course, New York general, a civil rights activist, uh, Rakia Lamumba, executive director of the People's Advocacy Institute, and Amanda Hamilton. She is director of Mississippi Dreams Prison Family Support, also has a son incarcerated in Central Mississippi Correctional Facility. Uh, first off, I want to start with you, uh, Amanda. Uh, what has your son told you about what is happening in the prison where he is being housed? Well, he is at, as you said, Central Mississippi Correctional Facility. So uh, he is in a work zone. He uh, he works in the kitchen and feeds uh, the inmates. So there's a lot of inmates locked down that have been brought to Central Mississippi Correctional Facility from other areas, um, specifically the high-ranking gang members uh, and some of the stabbing or stabbed and injured victims are there with him. Uh, he says that now there went, his pod went from 25, and I believe there's four different pods in his zone, and they're all packed now with 40, 40 inmates to each area. Obviously, uh, for the family members, they have to be concerned when you, when you hear that five inmates uh, have died in the past week. Uh, when you see that video, uh, certainly uh, that has to be shocking to you, or is it no shock? Is this what Mississippi prisons are often like? No shock here. <laughs> it's, it's been uh, ready to implode for a while now. I've, we, we've done several rallies. We've cried out for years, and no one was listening. But they are now. Uh, and I also would mm -hmm. like to talk about that video. Those guys are walking around in lockdown. How are they walking around? Guards are letting them. They're allowing them to walk around. They shouldn't be walking around. And we in Mississippi are going to reject the narrative that it's the gang's problem. Rakia, I want to go to you. Um, your sense of what is happening in these prisons? Uh, does the state even care about these prisons? Uh, is this a war between inmates and prison guards? Yeah, so, so Juan, thank you for having us on today. Um, I really appreciate Amanda jumping on to talk about her personal experience. Um, absolutely, uh, Amanda is correct and um, has personal experience and can and attest to that the conditions, the horrific conditions that people are living in behind these cages and these Mississippi prisons are the root cause of the violence that we're seeing now. It is, it is the direct nexus between the two. Mississippi Department of Correction uh, has for years been made aware through advocacy, through litigation held by the Southern Poverty Law Center and others, and through direct action, protests, and different things like that of the horrific conditions inside of facilities, including the lack of medical treatment for people when they are injured, oftentimes requiring uh, people incarcerated themselves to take care of the sick and the infirmed or the harmed, the hurt. And so at some point when you treat people like they're nothing or, or below even an animal and put them in conditions that are inhumane, at some point a person is going to break. I mean, that's just the bottom line. 
and they're going to try to create an opportunity to fix the situation for themselves. And so when we see gang violence happening in here, it's a direct result of the inhumanity that is going, that the inhumanity that is reflected upon how they're treated in the facilities. And the state knows about it. Um, really quickly to answer that part of your question, the state knows about the dangers that these horrific conditions have caused, about the violence that it has caused. But let's be real, prisons are cash cows. And the more people they're able to house in the prisons, the more money that is able to be made. Mississippi has private prisons as well as public prisons. Right now, Mississippi incarcerates over 19,000 people um, as of November 2019. Uh, my son, I want to go to you. There, uh, you, uh, Tamika Mallory, and others have been um, uh, investigating this issue, uh, talking about it. Uh, T.I. and others have been retweeting this video, uh, saying, uh, gathering more information. Uh, what is your understanding of what's going on and what do you want folks watching to do? Yeah, thank you, Roland. Um, yeah, when I, I was I was woken up by my sleep by a plethora of DMs with these pictures and these videos, you know, and being formally incarcerated, mm -hmm. understanding the dynamics that go on inside of prisons and understanding that this, what's going on in Mississippi is not new. If you remember, we had a similar situation in Brooklyn in the MDC prison where we had to protest just so they can get basic heat and just a basic right. So when you look at this situation, it immediately reminded us of how the system, the prison system itself is, is, is designed to just treat us like animals. When you listen to what the governor said today and how he just kept referring to the gang violence and, and the inmates are the problem. And then you look at where these people live and then you ask yourself how do you ask human beings to live in these conditions and not have some level of uprising, you know? So we're, we're, we're prepared to go to Mississippi to uplift the, the, the people on the ground, like Rakia, like um, the, the other lady, I forgot her name, but we want to come there to support them. We want to lend our services. We want to lend our platform. We want to we help upraise the voice of the people who've been on the ground fighting for this. These people have been doing these things, and it's unfortunate that we have to look and see men dead, see men stabbed to death, see men living in conditions that animals wouldn't even live in for people to start to pay attention. And then when you listen to the governor, it doesn't sound like he's paying attention to the dynamics of the prison that he's in charge of. It sounds like he's focusing on the, the inmates and the prisoners who, have, who are in, in, engulfed and encaged in this rat-infested hell. So if we don't start to focus on a problem and see where these people live and see how that, you know, contributes to the, the violence, that contributes to the anger, you know, when you surround someone with trash and, 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 and mildew and things that make them feel worthless, then that's when you start to get that type of reaction. So we're prepared to go down there and stand with these people and demand that justice be held, demand that investigations be held, and demand that somebody be held accountable. Um, uh, what about that, uh, Amanda? Uh, do you think part of the problem is that, let's just be honest, uh, Americans have an attitude of, the hell with these people. Uh, they're animals. We don't care about them. Well, look, toss them in jail, throw the key away. Th that literally is part of the psychosis I mean, the Americans, when it comes to folks who are in prisons. Absolutely. Lock them up and forget about them. You know, they don't have to look at it. So, you know, what I've been trying to do for over a year now is open people's eyes. And, and how do you get people to open their eyes by changing their hearts and minds? Um, 
and unfortunately, looking at these photos that have been released recently, you can't look away because they're they're everywhere on everybody's timeline, whether they know someone incarcerated or not. Um, and I would like to speak on what our uh, leaving governor said today. He he mentioned you know that it is a gang problem and that it's a funding problem, but. Mississippi has the third highest incarceration rate in the world, in the world, United States being, you know, number one. And so Mississippi falls three inside the United States. This is not a funding issue. This is a too many people are locked up issue. You know, you have a, a third of the people in our prison system are there on nonviolent drug crimes. And in fact, yeah. uh, Rakia, what's interesting is I remember uh, a year or so ago, that you had private prisons in Mississippi that were complaining about uh, efforts to uh, address mass incarceration by not placing folks uh, in, in these jails. It was interesting because uh, they were literally saying, well, you know, how are we going to survive? I mean, I, re I remember that story vividly, and I'm going, what the hell? Exactly, exactly. The question should not be about how a prison is going to survive. I mean, that should be the goal, is to have a prison shut down when you, you should be proud that you don't have many people coming in your doors anymore, because that means that something right is happening, that people are no longer committing acts of violence that cause or uh, funnel this system of mass incarceration, right? Like our goal should not be to increase prison population, it should be to decrease it. And I mean, that is one of the outcomes that we wanna see adopted from our push to, to really um, increase humane treatment of people who are currently in prison is that we want to actually see uh, the prison population decrease significantly in Mississippi. Um, we want to see uh, this institution of parchment that has been around since the early 1800s, which first was a plantation, an 18,000 acre plantation turned into an 18,000 acre uh, facility of incarceration, right? We want to see that shut down. It's been around for too long. It represents oppression. It represents a pain in our history. It represents horrific traumatic treatment of people and continues to do the same today. And so we want to see that shut down. We want, in the immediate, we want to see people, um, people who are injured inside of the prisons right now. We're getting reports on the inside where people are saying they're not treating people who need immediate medical attention. So we want that medical attention to come to those people immediately. We want to improve conditions inside the facility where people are not living in filth. We want to ensure that people are being treated with respect and dignity. And so we want to make sure that the right people are hired, the right people are trained. We want to see more resources come in. We want more social workers. We want more counselors. We want better food. There is so much that needs to happen, and there is no reason why it can't happen. My son, final question for you. Um, do you, um, you saw what, con what I read Congressman Benny Thompson wants the U.S. attorney to do. Um, you know, look, at the end of the day, these are still human beings. These are people who we supposedly want to one day be released and come back into society, uh, to your point, treating them this way uh, does not make that conducive. In fact, it makes it more difficult. That's right. Well, the recidivism rate climbs. Almost impossible. Yeah, sorry. You know, when, when, you look, when we look at this situation, man, it's a microcosm of what's going on in America's prisons because this is a common, this is common 
every day you you hear about it, I get DMs being formerly incarcerated and advocating for incarcerated individuals. I'm I'm often I'm you know, I'm overwhelmed with this type of emails and these type of pictures and these type of stories and I can't even help all of them because it's so much. But what we do know is that these are human beings. And when we look at our justice system, our injustice system, and how every day someone's coming home after 20 and 30 years for crimes that they never committed and being exonerated, it shows you that these are still human beings, that everyone in there deserves the opportunity to be able to rehabitate this society and not go through this type of inhumane treatment. So we have to understand that. We have to look at it as these are our brothers and our sisters and our family members and identify with the fact that they will, most of them are trying to come back to society and will come back to society. And they are, they're going to be products of whatever we feed them. So this prison system is trying to destroy our culture, is destroying our young men, is destroying the mind states. And when you hear how the governor, because it comes from the top down, and you hear how he speaks about these individuals, you understand why the prisons are like they are in Mississippi. And we're going to demand, like you said, we're going to demand that something happen. Amanda, you want to make a final comment? Go ahead. Um, I would just like to say that, you know, uh, one of the suggestions that I have for immediate and session can go in this, can go in next week. They can go in tomorrow or Wednesday and do an emergency, you know, uh, session for, for this for this particular problem and a crisis that we're having. Uh, Oklahoma just had the largest commutation ever recorded in history over, uh, I believe, over 500. No, almost 500 people were uh commutated because they took drug possession down to uh, misdemeanors instead of felonies. I mean, that would that, that would save us a lot of space and, and give more food and more things, you know, to the other prisoners that are there. I it's just one of the suggestions that I have. I don't, you know, we're exhausted down here. We're exhausted. Well, it, first of all, it only, it, it only makes common sense, and unfortunately, uh, you don't have uh, too much sense that's common uh, there uh, in Mississippi because you still have this <laughs> attitude. And again, it's, it's, for me, it's not a, a question of picking on Mississippi or Alabama, but it's a state of mind uh, where if you look at, uh, again, uh, after when slavery ended, uh, the peanut system was put in place. And so what you have here, uh, you have this view of these people who are in these prisons who are largely African-American, uh, they are, in a sense, uh, free labor. Uh, and folks can treat them that way. So we certainly appreciate all of your activism in this. Amanda Hamilton, thank you so very much. Rakia Lumumba, thank you, thank you very much as well, as well thank as my son. Uh, keep up the good work. Can I just add something about the women? Yeah, go ahead. The women are also suffering inside of their um, correctional facilities and in their units. And so I think we always have to remember to talk about them. And then lastly, we still need to restore the right to vote in Mississippi. Uh, Mississippi increased the number of felonies to 23 that prevent a person coming home from prison from ever voting again in their life. So I just want to thank you again, Roland, for taking the time to talk about this. All right, thanks. Really thanks so much. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Roland. I want to introduce my panel right now, Robert Patillo, civil rights attorney, also Dr. Avis Jones, Dweaver, political analyst, and Derek Holly, president of Reaching America and political analyst. Uh, I'm going to start with you, uh, Robert. Uh, the last point Rakia made there, Mississippi increasing number of felonies, people can't get it right to vote. I mean, th 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 there's a reason why this state is so backwards. Well, there's well, a re reason why, when you look at economically what the fundamental problem is, is, is this. Y you're spending all of this money, you're treating folks this way, 
what the hell you think uh, people are going to, how they're going to respond? Well, this has been going on for a long time. Curtis Mayfield, spared this country, Mississippi's fate. Nina Simone, I'll be, well, Mississippi, goddamn. Let's understand the fact that when you go to prison, when you're in state custody, it's exactly that, custody. You still have an Eighth Amendment right against cruel and unusual punishment. I would think black mold, no health care, lack of sanitation will violate the Eighth Amendment. Uh, also, we have to address the fact that you still have a First Amendment right to free speech and free communication within certain bounds. So let's understand that these inmates did not have access to cell phones and not access to videotape, uh, video and camera. We would not know about this. So we have to start pushing for the democratization of information and of technology so that people will be able to comment on, exercise their First Amendment constitutional rights um, to expose things such as this. Not to mention the fact that we talked about the any disenfranchisement point of it. It's completely unconstitutional. 15th Amendment lays out in one paragraph that you can remove someone's right to vote because of participation in previous rebellion and the crimes associated with that. States have expanded that to, for felony disenfranchisement. What it was meant to do was stop former Confederates from voting after the rebellion, and we're using it to stop black and brown people from voting today. And it, it does it weighs on our constitutional system. When you take away someone's vote, their first, uh, their uh, defranchise, when you take away their freedom of speech, their First Amendment rights, then there's no way to enforce the Eighth Amendment because they have no access to bring these issues to light. And thank God that some people have access to cell phones so we know about these things. But look, Epstein didn't kill himself. That's <laughs> what all of us think and believe. That's but it's because of the failings of our criminal justice system that something like that can happen and something like that in Mississippi can happen because we have no ability to interact with, the, with these individuals and we have to make it a priority not to forget about our brothers and sisters who are in state custody. They are still human beings and have all the rights under the Constitution. Avis, I grew up in Texas and there is a name that is etched into my memory, uh, William Wayne Justice. It's crazy that, again, growing up, and so you're like, okay, why did another name William Wayne Justice? William Wayne Justice was a federal judge. Uh, this is from the obit uh, when he died in 2009 from the New York Times. Here we go to my iPad. The state defended a prison system with two doctors for every 17,000 prisoners, Oof. where 2,000 inmates slept on the floor, and where inmate trustees, known as building tenders, essentially ran the cell blocks through coercion. It contended that Texas had, in effect, the best penal system in the nation. In 1980, after a trial that lasted nearly a year, Judge Justice ordered major changes in the state's prison system. In 1987, he held the state in contempt because the promised progress had been so meager. In 2002, after Texas had spent hundreds of millions of dollars to build and improve prisons, Judge Justice released the Texas penal system from federal oversight. That's a 22-year period. Yeah. That's why I remember the name, because yeah. every time the news came on, it was all ju federal judge William Wayne Justice, William Wayne Justice, uh, who they call an activist judge. Right. But again, I, I would hope that in Mississippi, there would be a similar lawsuit yeah. against the state to compel them. But this is also why who sits on the federal bench matters? Oh, my God. It because matters. if it wasn't for a William Wayne justice, had he been a right-wing ideologue, that wouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. But people calling him activist judge, he was like, yes, I'm actively defending the Constitution. <laughs> to Robert's point. Absolutely. And, it, and it's just disgusting when you see these inhumane conditions that human beings are forced to live 
within. And it's because you have a culture uh, that says that these are throwaway people, that says that they don't matter, that says that we can do anything to them that we want to do and we will not have to answer to anybody, including kill them or have them die under mysterious circumstances and never tell the truth about what happened to them. This is injustice of the highest order and it requires some outside entity to force some right doing here, but unfortunately, I don't think the Attorney General of this United States right now is the person to do that because he's more likely to side with the Mississippians than he is to side with the people who are having their human rights abused. I gotta agree with her on that one, Derek. I, and I would just say, I'm glad that you did this story because as you, everyone has talked about how we look at the prisoners as people, just throwaway people, that they're, they're, they're really... The, that they are less than human beings. And so, but you look at these people right here, it's almost as if they're in a third world prison. Mm -hmm. And and, and uh, one of my neighbors... They are. Yeah, one of yeah. my neighbors actually got locked up abroad. And, and the things that he described are exactly what's going on in Mississippi. The other thing is, I'm glad that you did this story because me, I, I, I saw the story about the two prisoners who escaped from Mississippi. And I'm like, oh God, two guys escaped. But I didn't realize one of them was from this prison right here, and one of them is being held for 40 years for aggravated assault. Mm. You got people who commit murder right. and only get 20 years. Yeah. This brother's been locked up for 40 years for aggravated assault. So a lot of these people, the crimes don't even fit the time that they're doing right now. Well, right. because so, it's because this is a state that is still a racist state. Agreed that still operates as if this is the early 1800s, mm -hmm. uh, and these folks do not care. They still worship Confederates. They still, frankly, I, Mississippi would have no problem if slavery came back. Absolutely not. I, 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 because I'm, I'm, this is it. I mean, so there is no effort by, let's be honest, Republicans in this state to deal with the problems in this state to continue to put folks in prison, to hear her say Mississippi is number three in the world? I mean, think about that. Wow. If the U.S. is... When you look at the number of people, if you look at the number of people mm -hmm. who are... The population of that state, mm -hmm. and the number of folks they put in prison, yeah. you're like, what in the hell are y'all doing? Because their mentality is any small thing... Gone. It's also but about providing jobs. It's, it's, a, it's, it's actually about black bodies being a means of production in that state. Oh, they, they, they are all about the 13th Amendment. Absolutely. Where it says slavery does no longer exist except when it comes to the prison system. Robert, you want to go jump in? Well, well, also, I would say I wouldn't just condense it to Mississippi. You can find very similar... With the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers, uh, we did a survey of uh, jail conditions in the South. You can find similar prisons in uh, Alabama and Florida and West Virginia and Kentucky. It is an American problem that sure. we have with the way that we prosecute crimes and the way that we um, see constitutional rights once you're incarcerated. But, but, and, but the reason I specifically am talking about Mississippi is because I'm looking at this thing beyond just the prisons. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at a state of mind. I'm looking at a culture. When you hear Rakia Lumumba say they increase the number of felonies uh, that, that will, uh, will keep you from having your right to vote. Mm -hmm. When you look at all of those different things, I mean, these are individuals who are in the legislature, in the governor's mansion, who are trying to sit here and like, hmm, how many more ways can we sit here yep. uh, and keep folks from voting? How many more ways can we keep 
driving profit by throwing folks in prisons. That's what's happening here. And the crazy part is, you're a broke-ass state. Yes. Part of your problem is, you're broke because of nonsense like this here. You got folks who are actually able-bodied who could be working, but you're spending thousands locking up in prison. But I, I think a big thing that we ha have to th uh, look at is the fact that this can be corrected through federal action. That throughout the 18th century, throughout the 19th century... But let's understand... It what was federal always, government? It was always the federal <laughs> Not this one. Right, but, but, <laughs> but, but, that, but that's exactly, though, what Republicans have never liked. Yeah. It's exactly. that very issue right there. That's what, See, that's why I, I, it amazes me when you have these conversations, again, with the people like Dinesh D'Souza and these other conservatives who have no understanding of history. There's a reason why African-Americans look to the federal government. Because the U.S. Constitution, for all the ways it's flawed, was at least a much better... provided much more relief than these state constitutions. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. That's the, 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 that's the problem here. And the fact that you haven't had Mississippi state leaders saying, what the hell is going on? The governor should be calling the head of prisons in and saying, what in the hell kind of operation are you running? And state is kind of like, what's wrong with y'all? What's wrong <laughs> well, with y'all? hopefully since this video came out, Roland, it's so many... But, but it, they don't give a damn. They don't give a damn. It shouldn't take a video. We, we they got, shouldn't. We had, what, 25, 30 people run around for the Democratic nomination for president this year, <laughs> depended on 95% of the African-American vote, and they spend more time... Uh, Oh, talking about refugees, when we have people living like refugees in That's American true. prisons, and they're not bringing it up. This hasn't been one debate question during any of the Democratic debates for the last okay, 10 months. Okay, hold on. First of all, let's just, be, let's just be clear. In the last debate, we finally got the first question when it came to the federal judiciary. Okay? So it ain't <laughs> like... we. Got, in the last debate, you finally got the first question on voter suppression in 30-some-odd debates. Poverty don't even come up. Mm -hmm. Plus, you got to remember, in these debates... The issue is not what didn't come up in the debate. The issue is what didn't they ask. Mm -hmm. That's right. the real issue. What didn't they ask? I, I do want to uh, uh, pull this story up here. Uh, so remember, we covered the story of uh, the guy Curtis Flowers, uh, who was who was released. Remember, you had that racist DA in Mississippi, Doug Evans, who on six. I mean, you, you know, you know, you a racist when you go five separate times and eject black jurors from the jury, and you go a sixth time, and you keep getting smacked down, finally went to the Supreme Court, and they finally said, look, your ass is wrong. So apparently, uh, this DA, Doug Evans, uh, has finally recused himself After from the next trial of Curtis Flowers. Uh, again, Flowers has been tried six times, accused of killing uh, four people, and this, y'all love this here. I have personally prosecuted the defendant in all six of his prior trials. Yes, and your ass got slapped down <laughs> all six times because you excluded black jurors from the jury. While I remain confident in both the investigation and jury verdicts in this matter, I've come to the conclusion that my continued involvement will prevent the families from obtaining justice and from the defendant being held responsible for his actions. Yes, Derek, <laughs> if your racist ass is no longer removing black jurors because they black... He did that six times? Dog. <laughs> Bruh. I'm with you. Okay. He got smacked down every time. For removing. New trial. Did it again. Boom. New trial. Did it again. New trial. Does it again. 
Goes all the way to the Supreme Court. Then they probably say, yes. And then he recuses Your ass wrong. Flowers recently got released uh, uh, on, on bail. And so, and again, here he is, um, you know, moving forward. But just, in fact, it, it's just crazy. But but this this is the this is the nonsense though, Avis. That again, and I'm not I'm not specifically targeting conservatives for a reason. But this is what black folks are talking about. Yeah. When you talk about how people look at this system in a much different way. Yeah. When you have people who will defend guys like this DA and say, "Oh no, he's he, he's a righteous guy," six times. Right. Right. Six times the court said you cannot remove black jurors because yep. they black. Absolutely. And he kept doing it. Absolutely. And, and this is, once again, this is why... In Mississippi. ...federal judiciary is so important. This is why the Supreme Court is so important. And it is just so frustrating to me that, as was mentioned, it was only... One, we only have one debate question on it. The Democrats writ large seem to be largely clueless about prioritizing this as an issue. And the electorate just doesn't seem to even resonate at all. I mean, how many times do we have to talk about Medicare for All? Okay, I think I've, I've kind of heard everything I need to hear personally mm-hmm. about Climate Medicare change. for All. And, no, and, but, but you know, but, it, it's, let's focus on... No, but you're, but you're... Okay, but l- <laughs> let's just be real clear, okay? And I, y'all heard me say this before. And I'll say it again. This is what happens when black media sits on its ass and only shows entertainment. Yes. There, there is no... First of all, if you had an actual debate and black-owned media was asking the questions... Yes. This will come up, other issues come up, and it won't just be, yes, the 10th debate in a row where it's Medicare for all. And no, I would, and it's going to be... And that's the problem. Absolutely. And I would add, at least the first, I would say, 90% of those debates were supposedly co-hosted by Telemundo, okay? There was no black equivalent in any of those debates to make sure that our Great issues point, were raised up yeah, but tele- when tele- we are the backbone actually, of the Democratic but Party. But Telemundo and Univision, Robert, have actual newscasts. Mm-hmm. Right. One, I'm going to say it again. 1,344 <laughs> hours of content a week on TV One, uh, Clio TV, BT, BT Her, Own, Revolt, Aspire, Bounce. Eight black cable and broadcast networks. Not a single hour of news. It ain't gonna come up. And the reality is this here, I guarantee you, if you looked at mainstream media today, the cable news networks, 24-hour cable news networks, I wonder how many have done this story. Well, well none oh, of them no. have none done this story, and none of them will do this story, because we, we talk about the media aspect, and you're completely right about that, but we as the people, we as the black community, have to stop just giving our votes away uh, to people who aren't willing to come in and campaign to us. I don't care if you can eat fried chicken at Sylvia's. I don't care if you got <laughs> hot sauce in your bag. I don't care if you step in a line or uh, whatever you feel like doing. What are you going to do about prisons? What are you going to do about defending the constitutional rights of African Americans? What are you going to do about the 180-plus justices or ju- federal judges that President Trump has put on the Supreme Court and possibly three Supreme Court justices? What is your plan to enforce the civil rights. But what you're asking, again, though, the people who are asking those questions, they don't want they care about. 
There's a reason you don't hear public education being really discussed in these debates. Because the people who ask the question, kids don't go to public school. Got that right. I mean, that, I mean that, that, that's just the real deal here. That, 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 that we have to realize that's what's going on. So hopefully, folks, so we, we purposely wanted to devote this much time to this story. Uh, because, yeah, it's not going to get covered on the, other, uh, on the other network. This is why we did. I saw uh, the post this weekend from Tamika and from T.I. and from my son and others. And I said, we're going to talk about this here. Because it has to be discussed. It has to be dealt with. And so uh, we'll do so. Before I go to a break, I, want, I do want to show, show this video here. Uh, oops, video. So uh, this was the video. Uh, go to my... I'm going to start it. Hold on. Go back to the beginning. All right? Go to my iPad, please. So... This was the video today of the funeral of the general in Iran. This is not uh, what Trump thought was going to be his inauguration. When I saw this video, look at this. Okay, they ain't done. It's still going. So Derek, when you see, is it still? It's still going. It's still going. It's still going. Hey, it's still going. This, this Derek. Wow. And, I, and I'm sure somebody. Let me be real clear. This is not, or oh, you're siding with the Iranians over the United States. No. What this says is that if you see this kind of reaction, for this kind of figure, I, 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 I keep trying to explain to people that 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 one of my issues, in this country is that, folk here don't read. Somebody asked the question, what can be done to have better relations with Iran? You can't understand Iran and the United States in 2019 if you don't confront and deal with Iran and the United States in 1953. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you don't deal with the fact that Mossadegh was a democratically elected leader in Iran, Anglo-Iranian oil, now known as BP, he comes in and says, wait a minute, how is it our oil and we only getting 7% of the money? They get 93%. Iranian oil helped continue and built the economy of England. He says, yo, this ain't right. We need a larger cut. The Brits were afraid. If y'all want to understand this, read Stephen Kinzer's book, Overthrow. But he breaks it all down. The United States says, oh, y'all afraid? We'll help y'all overthrow them. The United States, which was seen and beloved by Iranians, prior to 53, overthrows Mossadegh. We install a general. He don't work out. We throw him out. We put the Shah of Iran on. Train his paratroopers who terrorized that country. And then they raid our embassy in 1979. The problem in this country is that when we talk about Iran, we start with 79. Mm -hmm. <laughs> of course. But we don't start with 53. Uh -huh. Of course. What we don't understand is that if you were a 20-year-old man in 1953, and we overthrew that country, you were 46 in 79. You, didn't, you don't forget your country being, have a democratically elected leader going to a dictator that we helped put in power. Mm -hmm. And I, so I think for us to understand what's happening in the Middle East, 
Americans have got to step back and say, what role did the Dulles brothers play in conducting American foreign policy in the State Department and the CIA for decades? What role did that play in terms of what we're facing today, in terms of how uh, the relations with these countries? This, that number of people, that should scare any American if you want to understand how they view this figure. Derek, then I'm going to go, go I was just going to say what you touched on, 53. The documentary I just did, energy is power. Mm-hmm. And that's what's going on with this right here. And so in order to understand what's happening to you, you have to go back and understand the history of this country. But you look at those people on this thing right here. We got a problem right now on our hands. It's a very serious situation, and I'm still looking at this administration. Y'all know I'm a conservative, but I'm looking at this administration right now as to why now? (laughs) What was going on right now that we had to take this man out right now? Impeachment. Yes. I'm looking for better details than just that right now. Well, first of all, and Avis, look, the the Iraqi (laughs) legislature just just voted to remove all U.S. troops. And we have to understand, we... you, You just can't go into somebody else's country and say... I ain't leaving. <laughs> I ain't leaving. Like spoiled brat ass Trump who, who said, oh, so they're going to tell us we got to go. They got to pay us for that base before we leave. That's not quite how that works. Well, he's just asinine. Uh, but in terms of what brought this on, absolutely the impeachment. The very same day that this happened, earlier in the day, the unredacted version of an email that the White House had handed over in a very heavily redacted ray was released, which showed that Trump himself ordered to put a hole on the funding for Ukraine. So it basically further implicated him in the Ukrainian controversy that led to his impeachment. That same day, this man was killed. You cannot tell, and you and you notice that since that happened, nobody has said anything about that email, have they? All the coverage has been about this. This has been, we know from the very beginning, two things about Trump. He lies like a rug. What He's like at over 13,000 lies right now. So I don't know why anybody would leave anything coming out of his mouth, number one. And number two, we also know that everything that he does has to benefit him. That's how he operates. He doesn't give a damn about this country. He doesn't give a damn about those people whose lives are not are now imperiled because of his actions and who will definitely die. We've already had, um, you know, individuals die in Nigeria on an American base in response to this. Oh, it's Kenya? Kenya. And so so this is just the beginning. Trust and believe is just the beginning. He does not care about the lives. And this coward, coward, who did not go to Vietnam after five times of supposedly being drafted, claiming he has bone spurs, yet he's on a damn golf course every freaking weekend. Let me tell you, he... (laughs) Yeah. Well, Mr. Bone Spurs in Chief, we know, too, like I said, we know that he doesn't do anything unless it benefits him, and we know that he's a liar, which means that I do not believe any narrative that's coming out of this White House and any journalistic institution that just robotically mimics and repeats what he says without challenging it is derelict in their duty as journalists in terms of really being committed to bringing the truth to the public. Robert, they are a little confused over there. First off, today, the Pentagon chief of staff resigned, okay? Not uh, a minor detail in the middle of this here. 
Also, uh, y'all gonna love this one here. So, uh, so have you heard about this this draft letter that was sent out mm. about troops being pulled out of Iraq? Well, everybody was confused. What in the hell is going on? So, one of the generals had to come out. First of all, went before reporters. They were like, "Okay, we don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> went back. Okay, we made some calls. All right, so here's what happened. So apparently, that this is the quote. That letter is a draft. It was a mistake. It should not have been released. <laughs> Dude, it's the Keystone cops at the Pentagon on this whole deal. Trump literally is tweeting saying, hey, Congress, that's my official notification. Well, well we, we, got, we, got a, we got a lot of things going here, and this is a point in time where those people who are history nerds in middle school, this is our time to shine. <laughs> Uh, so uh, let's un- let's understand and put a couple things in little boxes and then bring it all together. One, we can't take out the fact that November 10th, 2019, Iran announced they found 50 billion get ba- uh, barrels of oil. That's very convenient. The people forget that when you announced that you found 50 billion barrels of oil, oil somehow the U.S. ships show up. I don't know how it happened. It's <laughs> a coincidence. Don't know how, but it always just seems to happen. When you find 50 Energy billion, power. and, and yes. it yes. Would, that that would vault them to that would vault them ahead of the Saudi Arabia. Yes, it would have. Not to mention, let's let's, let's say it's box number one. Box number two, you have the confluence of cable news and deep state conspiracy theories when they actually have to govern. So President, uh, so President Trump, while he was running for office, talked about President Obama being so weak, de- uh, delivering the uh, the pallets uh, the pallets of cash money out of big planes mm-hmm. to Iran before the Iran nuclear deal. What President Obama and the State Department and the international community understood was, you don't want it with the Persians. Alexander the Great found that out. The you know, the Ottomans found that out. The British found that out. So let's just like stop this war from happening. So let's stop them from getting nuclear weapons and keep stability in the region. And also but the money that was given was, was their money. Their was money. Their money. So yeah. was it like so, we gave the money out of the U.S. Treasury system? Go ahead. But, but when you start talking in deep state conspiracies and internet chat rooms, you start thinking you can govern that way, and this is what you end up. Okay, hold on. But you left out one more thing. That's a good point. You left out one more thing. Because of this. Guess what has happened to oil prices? Spiked. But guess who that's benefited the most? Oil companies. No. Who? Russia. Oh, <laughs> of course. Well, How did before, I not figure that out? There, let's get to box number three. Go ahead. Box number three is the... Uh, there's been a Cold War going on in the Middle East for about 30 years now between Saudi Arabia and Iran. So stuck in the middle is Iraq. Remember the, Iraq, the Iraq-Iran war in the 1980s. But because you have been had this battle for hegemonic power between the Iranians and the Saudis, which have been playing out in smaller conflicts in Jordan and Lebanon and Syria and everywhere else, you have the United States, which has been funneling weapons to Saudi Arabia for decades now. There have been civilians, school buses, weddings killed with, with bombs that have Lockheed Martin and you made in the United States of America on the side of them. Let's put this also into context that while President Trump was running in 2015 and 2016, he talked about his strong business relationships with the Saudis. We have one of the first foreign trips he went on. He went to Saudi Arabia, the picture of him holding a saber with his hand on a glowing globe with the Saudi government. Let's also remember that the killing of Khashoggi last fall, that we allowed the Saudis to do that and get off scot-free. And now suddenly, we are about to go to war with their number one rival in the region, 
right as Trump is about to put a hotel in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Yep. So we have this confluence of events all taking place at one time, which makes it seem like this conflict with Iran was inevitable. Let's understand this is not like the, the assassination or the killing of Osama bin Laden. Osama bin Laden, that was a killing under the War Powers Act of 1973, which gives the president the right to uh, use emergency powers, not within Article One, Section 8 of the Constitution, in order to um, protect the vital national security interests of the United States. The killing of the Iranian general was a violation of this because he was part of, he was a state actor. He was right. a general in a foreign military on another country's soil. That's different than a terrorist who's part of an organization. That's different than an individual. You cannot allow the president of the United States to sit in a gold-plated resort while eating ice cream and order death robots to kill foreign generals on foreign soil. So you don't think the, he was a terrorist, though? A terrorist himself? It doesn't matter. He, because guess what? If the Iranians declared Mike Pence a terrorist tomorrow. Exactly. Does that mean they can send a death robot that to kill him? Exactly. The, at what point? Exactly okay, so difference. my question because though is: because there's a constitutional mandate around it, it's not a point of opinion. It's Article One, Section Eight of the Constitution. It's the War Powers Act of 1973. It's the uh, authorization of use of military force from 2002. There are. Which are trying there, to change right now. Yeah. Well, there are legal frameworks around this to prevent an individual from being able to sink the entire nation into a war. Remember, the reason America became a country is because King George squandered and got uh, England into the Seven Years' War, which nearly bankrupted the country, which allowed for the United States to rise up after the French and, uh, French and Indian War. The framers of the Constitution did not want to put the power into one man's hand to literally bankrupt and destroy an empire, and that's what we have right now, because President Trump believes he can flout the Constitution. We have, uh, by, in every metric, said to President Trump, the Constitution does not apply to you. You don't have to follow Congress, you don't have to follow the Senate, you don't have to follow the courts. You can do whatever you feel like. And when Republicans are willing to go away from their constitutional conservative principles in order to simply have tax cuts, I think that's why we get to the point we're at currently. But, but, yep. the, th but the thing that, to your point, Derek, is this guy... Is a yeah, good job, Robert. That <laughs> <laughs> was a right job moment. I'm he, sorry. He said, he said, he said, he said, he said history nerds having a moment. <laughs> I'm like, okay, bro. <laughs> but, but here's the piece. But, but, but to your point... Was this guy, is this guy a terrorist? Yes. But when you're, there's a reason why President Bush and President Trump, Left excuse me, on. President Bush and President Obama didn't take him out. Mm -hmm. Because you understand, you, 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 you sit back and say, what, you, you have, first of all, you ask somebody in the room and you actually ask a number of people in the room, what will be the repercussions of this action? That's the piece. So what do we now have? Iran says, so Trump comes in. The Iran nuclear deal is awful. Bad for Obama, first of all. There were other countries who also were part of the negotiating that wasn't just the United States, okay? Prevented from them for uh, getting a nuclear weapon for, for at least 15 years, okay? You can be pissed off with, we gave them a billion dollars or how much it was it kept them for 15 years. The whole point of that is 10 years later, you negotiate another deal to keep them from getting a nuclear weapon. His action right here, they go, y'all can kiss our ass. We ain't complying with nothing beginning right now. That's what they said. But, so, so you say the deal was bad, so you think they gonna come to the table and negotiate a harsher deal? Oh, 
the, the economic penalties we've had against them. Sanctions. Ain't, ain't the first time they've had sanctions against them. This man has no idea. Not just about next year, not next month. He don't even know about tomorrow. <laughs> and that's the fundamental problem you have. And that's why, and I, I love this one too now. I love how the Trump people now swear by the intelligence community. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. They're the best The same like one he's been trashing. <laughs> On Russia and interference, now they love him. Yeah. Just... <coughs> Folk better be scared because you do not have a stable person leading. I just don't think you do. No. Well, we, we also have to think about the butterfly effect of foreign policy. So, uh, let's think about it this way. 1945, two atomic bombs get dropped on Japan. Why? Because in 1914, a Serbian shot, shot the Archduke of Austria. So, if, do you did think you we... Did, did you... Did you, did you th I, did I any, thought I was a history nerd. Apparently, I'm not. That's what started the World War I. Yeah, the, the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand in Austria in a car by a Serbian uh, separatist is what kicked off World War I. Mm -hmm. World War II was a continuation of that with a short armistice in the middle. As a result of World War II, we had the Atomic Age, we had Operation Paperclip. We ended up on the moon because a Serbian killed an Austrian. One dude. So, wow. One dude. Killed so we, an Archbishop. Because yes. we have no idea what the murder of this one general might butterfly into, and the fact that we didn't think about it is the most horrifying aspect. No, it was no. What's horrifying are these idiots... First of all, is Trump an idiot? Yes. <laughs> because you... Because the person who you make as your Secretary of Defense, a former Boeing lobbyist, who don't know shit. Mm -hmm. So you fools go into a meeting... Uh, let's see here. Uh, we're just going to give him the option. Take the general out. Because it's, it's... No one will ever do that. You're dealing with an idiot. So what does the idiot do? Oh, yeah, yeah, take him out. In a world where... Mattis is not there. Right. Kelly's not there. All those folks who they said... I, I really do believe Madison Kelly had formed a pact. It was like, look, if this dumb man say this here, we ain't gonna do it. Right. We already have evidence right. where Trump gave orders and Madison's like, yeah, y'all gonna ignore that. Don't worry about that shit. We ain't doing that. We ain't, we ain't, we ain't following that order. These fools literally bring to him the idea and he takes the most extreme one. Then they're like, oh my God, what do he do? Because you fools put it on the table. Yeah. Of course Trump was gonna take the most extreme. Because to your point, for eight years, and th this is why these white folks voted for him. Because for eight years, all Fox News and all conservative talk radio and all conservative so so social media, we're weak. We're weak. No one respects us. Obama's weak. He's weak. He's weak. So fake-ass John Wayne comes along, and they say, yeah, that's it. Strong. We took out the Iranian general. Fool, you better figure out what's going to happen next. There's a reason why Bush and Obama didn't. Last, and it's just crazy. Last, last point. Last, come last, on, last comment I want to make is we have to understand that unlike Osama bin Laden, unlike uh, some of the other terrorists that have been taken out, General is a job. Yes. Before his body was cold, they had somebody else in that same job. Okay, hold on, hold on. Also, so, also, Iran's a country. Exactly. Yes. So okay, Osama bin Laden... 
was over a band of people that was a loose federation that could get kicked out of a country, that could get killed by people who are over the country. And it was also Saudi they, Arabian, and we love Saudi Arabia. They're a country. They're a country with money. And to your point, go to my iPad. 53 billion barrels of oil found. Damn. And I had the date right. 53 billion. <laughs> okay, so they sit... This, right, so deal is, they ain't wow. out fundraising. <laughs> they are a nation. Mm-hmm. They are a nation. And the reality is, for, for those Americans who never understood, you had, when, when, we, when, when Saddam was nuts and we ain't like him, Iran kept his ass from going acting a fool. Right. Saddam kept Iran from going a fool. So to your point about taking down somebody... The, 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 what is the, all of the drama of the Middle East today, first of all, we can take it back to the beginning, but all the drama of the Middle East today also stems from our decision to invade Iraq on false pretenses of weapons of mass destruction mm-hmm. because was Saddam an evil, evil man? Absolutely. But evil kept evil in line. Mm-hmm. Evil kept evil in line. Now, all of all of them ke- kept them all in line. Mm-hmm. We toppled Saddam. We toppled Gaddafi. Now you don't know who the hell you dealing with, and now it's all up for grabs. Now you got the guy uh, in Turkey who used to be a good guy, democratically elected, now a dictator and a thug, and the games he's playing. This is what happens when you make those decisions. And you're right. When, we, when, when Paul Bremer said, oh, get rid of the Iraqi National Guard. What the f... Dude, what the hell did you just do? Because guess what? Now you had no security forces. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, now you had, guess what? Militias who went, fill the vacuum. And so, y'all, y'all better pray. Y'all better pray and, 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 and pray to the different gods than that fool Jim Baker. Uh, <laughs> Uh, did, 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 you, did y'all did y'all see this here? Okay, I'm, I'm going. I'm, my next guest is coming up, but I gotta go. First of all, uh, this was this is the soldier uh, you were talking about, uh, Sergeant uh, Army Specialist Henry Mayfield Jr., 23, mm. Evergreen Park. He was a service member uh, who was killed in the attack on the U.S. base in Kenya. So certainly condolences mm. uh, go out to uh, go out to his family. Yeah, 23 years old. Uh, but, but but I'm trying to find this uh, this here for y'all because, and I tweet this here because that crazy fool Jim Baker. Uh, uh, so y- y'all remember Jim Baker? Remember uh, the one who had who had the side piece, uh, and they was <laughs> stealing all his money. Now listen to what this fool said on his show. Here we go to my iPad. You know what? Trump is a test whether you're even saved. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Only saved people can love Trump. <laughs> No, you got to be really saved. You got to forgive. You got to be able to forgive. You forgive when you're saved. You know what? Trump is a test. Whether he said only saved, no, only insane people <laughs> follow Trump. All right, y'all, coming up next, we're going to talk about artificial intelligence and its impact on loss of black jobs. It's real and it's already happening. That's the next rollout unfiltered. You want to check out Rollerbart Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. 
like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. If you want to support Roland Martin Unfiltered, be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roland Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roland Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. Roland Martin Unfiltered.com. All right, y'all, as the marijuana momentum continues, the folks at 420marijuana.org have already reached more than half of their funding goal for the hemp CBD crowdfunding campaign. That's right. If you want to take advantage, you better do so real quick because it's not going to last much longer. I'm talking about the hemp plant, the good cousin of marijuana with a much higher concentration of CBD. That means hemp gives you all the medical benefits of marijuana without getting you high. Robert says thank you very much. Also, hemp farming is now legal in the U.S., creating one of the largest commodities worldwide. It's an investment opportunity for you. And the folks at 420 Real Estate, this is what their business model is. They buy land that supports hemp CBD grow operations and lease it to licensed high-paying tenants. They are hemp CBD landlords. If you want to participate, you can do so for as little as 200 bucks up to $10,000. Again, 200 bucks up to $10,000. All you got to do is go to marijuanastock.org. That's marijuanastock.org. You can get in the game and get in the game now. All right, folks, a recent report shows that artificial intelligence will impact 4.5 million jobs for African-Americans. Folks, we have a 10% greater likelihood of automation-based job loss than other workers. Black men without a college degree are especially vulnerable. We're talking about what makes African-Americans more likely to be replaced artificial intelligence with Shireen Mitchell. She's a social analyst and diversity strategist. Okay, so Shireen, explain for the folks, first off, what the hell is artificial intelligence? Oh, my goodness. Uh, thank Trust you for me, having me, there's Roland. A, there's a lot of people sitting at home going, I don't know what y'all talking about. <laughs> automation. I, I think most people actually understand automation. You know, it's like the conveyor belts, right? We understand what that is. But I think the key part to this conversation is about the way that AI is operating right now in our systems. And one of the things about the way AI is working is also working against us as African-Americans. It's not just about jobs, but it's the way in which AI tries to interpret for us uh, and tries to um, present um, categories that are connected to us. So for example, really, like if you remember the HP thing, um, there was a, a guy who was a dark-skinned guy who was um, trying to do the you know AI recognition of his face on a screen, um, and basically he was like, well, the you know if, if a white woman shows up in front of it or if a white person shows up in front of it, they recognize it. They don't recognize us. Um, you've seen this also with soap dispensers where you put your hands underneath it. The, you know, technology doesn't recognize a black hand versus a white hand, right? It will dispense for a white person, but won't dispense for a black person. So the challenge that we're having with AI isn't just about jobs. It's about the fact that it is not able to um, recognize who we are and allow our participation in the technology framework. Yeah, because first of all, when you talk about AI, it's been written by largely white folks. 
So, <laughs> absolutely. So, who's, call it what who's it is. coding? Why folks are doing the coding? AI? Who, who's the AI learning to be, right? Remember on um, Twitter, there was like a Microsoft AI that was just um, trying to like uh, just exist and having people respond to the to respond to it, and ultimately, eventually, became racist, right? Because people kept feeding <laughs> the AI racist content, and so it started spitting out racist content. So yeah, AI is, is in any way technology is not designed in a way that is beneficial to us because most of us are not actually designing it. It's being designed by, by other you know, other folks, mostly white males in the tech industry who think that AI is um, sort of um, neutral um, while they code in things that really simply can, like we can identify, like you can code in names and names get coded. So Bob gets coded, but guess what? Does Shireen get coded? Shireen's name is not is classified as um, unusual, right? But Bob and Sally and Chris and Dave are all natural conversations right. in AI, and so AI picks that up. Those are the kinds of things about uh, algorithms of oppression that really focuses on the ways in which um, AI and algorithms actually are disproportionately targeting our community. But I do want to read from this story from the Business Insider. This is what it says. Here we go to my iPad. African-American workers are at greater risk for job loss due to being overrepresented in the jobs that will face the most cuts after AI and automation take over, like office support secretaries, fast food and service workers, and mechanics and other practitioners of production work. About 34 to 36% of jobs in those three sectors will get disrupted. Yes. The disproportionate impact of automation could exacerbate the already widening racial gap. The wealth gap between the median black and white families in the U.S. has jumped $54,000 since 1992. White Americans own disproportionately more homes and hold less student debt than African Americans, factors that can be traced to historic redlining and discrimination in job hiring. But, here's the, but here is the, um, the uh, paragraph that really jumps out. College education and gender will all impact how severely black Americans will face job loss. 10% of black folks are at risk for job disruption, but the number jumps to 30% for African-American men without a college degree. The, in fact, the researchers estimate that 28% of jobs held by black men without a college degree will get disrupted by automation and AI by 2030. Now, Black women are higher educated more than anybody else in terms of going to college. That's why you see that number in terms of 30%. I think what people have to understand when we talk about automation and AI, Shireen, that if you look at uh, right now, I'll ask my panelists here. Panel, when's the last time you physically walked into a bank? For what? Never. For real. That's it's my been point. a minute. I mean, I ain't got no money, so. <laughs> like, well, never. But, but, but what has happened <laughs> is what, what, what automation has done, what technology has done, now you can sit here snap a picture of a check, yep. no need to actually walk in. Yep. You now have Cash App, you can do transfer of money, uh, PayPal as well. And so what people don't understand, all of those jobs on the inside of that bank, the jobs that were in the drive-through, those were middle-class jobs that yes. individuals had that did not require a college degree. Those were jobs that people had where they were able to take care of their families, buy homes, send their kids to college, and actually live. Those jobs right. wiped out. We can go down the line and look at, I mean, look, I, you go to a grocery store. 
used to go to a grocery store yeah. that were 10 to 12 lines. That were at peak time 10 to 12 cashiers. Now it's t- it's 10 to t- it's, it's actually it's 10 to 12 registers, only two are open, but you've got self-checkout where you got literally 10 different counters. That's yeah. you multiply that, that's that's 10 people who used to be at a grocery store, multiplied by the number of grocery stores in your city, yeah. in your state, in your country. And so we talk about where these jobs, how we're losing these jobs. And yes, for convenience, this is scary as hell if you're yeah. saying that essentially a third of black men without a college degree are going to be impacted by AI. Final comments. So, so my final comment is this. Um, there's two things that can be done ar- around this. One is be the executors of AI, like learn how to be able to you know, create it and change the dynamics that are happening behind it. The second one is the key to this problem is we've had this conversation before. It's like TV, radio will take out jobs. Everything, like we've been here before about like print media will disappear when, you know, we get online. It damn near the, has. Well, yeah. The contraction <laughs> has been, first of all, Classified advertising just decimated newspaper. That's where they're making their money. Oh, Craigslist, okay. Craig Newmark, yeah, you're the reason. Uh, and then, of course, <laughs> and, and so the number of uh, newspapers, jobs that have been wiped out. You used to have newsrooms where you had 200 people. You now have those newsrooms today with 40 people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, Ma- I, magazine. I, I'm not disagreeing all, with any of that. Essence Magazine makes more money off the festival and do the actual magazine. But go ahead, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> I, ta- I, so I tagged the journalism part of it, but, because it is a, a, an example of it. But also, we, we have to remember that the key part of this conversation is also about the way in which AI is being used. In some ways, it's used in negatively for African-American community. Also, it's, it's used um, in a way that can be positive. We have to figure out how to navigate this enough that we can change the dynamics of where it's going. I do think that the key part of this, and I want to make sure that we also remember this, you know, McKinsey is also a challenging organization who put this report out. So we want to make sure that we are having the conversation as a balanced conversation. It's not, I I feel very strongly, it's not just black men who who will be impacted. It, It is the black community in general. And it's anyone who doesn't have a college degree. Uh, we are talking about working class frameworks where most of our community is actually working every day hard to get to, you know, take care of their families. And we have to make sure that these things don't impact us in a disadvantaged way. We don't want the AI to be there for, for surveillance either. We don't want the AI to be there to take away jobs. And we don't want the AI to be there to participate in ways in which um, we get to, uh, what's the question, like, where it becomes disadvantaged for us as a, as a whole community. And that's where we are right now. The, the, the question is, who's controlling it and what can we do about it? Mm-hmm. That means Congress has to have a conversation about this. That means that tech companies have to have a conversation about this. But we aren't having a conversation about this across the community. Sure it's a very big challenge for, for multiple reasons. Yep, absolutely. Shereen Mitchell, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. 
Thank you for having me. Uh, I want to go to our panel here. Look, bottom line is this here. Uh, it, it, you know, we, we had um, 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 Spencer from the Joint Center for, for Political yep. Economic Studies talking about what uh, uh, driverless cars is going to mean for, again, how African Americans are going to be impacted. What people have to understand is that if you look, if you look at the wealth gap in this country, you look at all those different things. We used to be a nation that made things. Now we, you look at money being produced on the East Coast, Wall Street, uh, in terms of how it's being produced, they make nothing. So, so, so in terms of how wealth is being created, uh, and the people who are being screwed are low-income folks. That's right. Folks who are in all those damn red states. Automation, the impact that automation is having uh, is wreaking havoc. And look, we've got to be dealing with that. Uh, and that's why, and I, people, somebody, somebody thought I was joking when I was dead, and I was dead serious. Um, this is what I said. If you become a master plumber, one, you can make high five figures, six figures. People thought I was lying. It's true. Two, guess what? You cannot outsource that to China. It's true. Because if your toilet is stopped up, <laughs> right. there's nothing somebody can do over the phone. <clears throat> That's right. To unclog. We have to start start thinking about, yes, tech job, steam jobs, STEM jobs, whatever you want to call it, STEM or steam, but also think about jobs that require a skill set in order for folks to be able to live. Mm -hmm. Well, I, to put a little cold water on the hysteria, uh, in the Middle Ages, there was a career called upknocker. What that was, if you lived in a place that didn't have roosters, there was somebody who would come and knock on your door to wake you up every morning, and you would pay them a pittance. That job went out of business when clocks were proliferated. Technology advances. Of course. Old jobs go away. So right now, we have an ephemeral causeway to wealth that we've never had before. You can be, there are people in Nigeria right now uh, with very limited access to technology who are inventing apps, who are inventing technology that are going to lift their families, their whole communities out of poverty. So instead of fearing poverty or technology as it comes, instead of fearing what's going to be the next thing, let's understand, well, if, because people are automating cross-country trucks now, instead of being a truck driver, you'll have the, uh, you'll have the bandwidth and the ability no, 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 no. to innovate no, 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 in the no, future. That, but no, that, that's, not, that's, not, that's not what the fear is. The fear is that as I said, I, as I, used, I used the cashier at the grocery store mm -hmm. and the bank teller. The pro th th this is the problem. The gap. This is the other problem. Mm -hmm. See, the problem is you used to have, you, ha you, you used to have um, high-paying jobs, mm -hmm. relatively high-paying jobs. The bulk of your jobs were there in the middle. And then your low-paying job where your customer service-oriented jobs, fast food restaurants, things along those lines, require tipping and all sorts of stuff along those lines. The problem, these jobs here, so you have people who are better educated, high student loan debt, but you literally have a shrinkage on those jobs in the middle. Well, well, I think yeah. it's, it's, it's... And so now you have an abundance of jobs down here that aren't paying more, which is why you have the fight for $15 minimum wage. Uh, but... And no health care. Because remember, those jobs were in the middle. You had health care. You had dental. You had all of that. And so Retirement. our economy has changed. 
And so, when you see the fight for $15 an hour, when you see this battle for a living wage, it's because technology has, automation has shrunk those, has got those jobs in the middle. And so now, what used to be low-paying jobs that were really for your teenagers and for other folks, now has become disproportionate for folks are. So folks are like, well, hold up. What we used to have here, we need down here because this is shrunk. But, but at the same time, now more children today want to become YouTubers than want to become astronauts. Because you can sit in your house and you can create a YouTube channel and become a multimillionaire. People can work in the okay, gig but, but the number, people, people have but, the but, but, but the number of But the number of multimillionaires on YouTube or the number of astronauts? But at the okay, but, let's, let's, we're, we're let's, just be, let's just be clear. But instead of trying to get more cashier jobs back, no, 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 Robert, I'm not saying we're going to get more cashier jobs back. What I am, here's what I am acknowledging. I'm acknowledging that not everyone is going to get a four-year degree. Mm-hmm. I'm acknowledging that not everyone is going to get a two-year associate degree. I am acknowledging that the vast majority of Americans are going to be high school graduates. And, 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 for, and for a number of, of centuries, but, really, but definitely over the last 100 years, you had an infrastructure in this country that was able to say, depending upon your grade of education, you might be here, 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 or in this section here. The problem is you've got a bunch of people those college degrees are down here. who are down here. Yeah. And the problem is they're not down here for six months. They're down here for six years. And the difficulty to be, to be able to go up. And so we have, to be, we have to be honest with what is happening with automation. So look, I got phone, 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 solar-powered power bank. I get technology, but I'm also honest about the fact that we have seen a massive loss of of jobs for those people without college degrees and those people had the ability and a lot of them were our parents, my parents. My dad worked at Amtrak 25 years, cleaning the trains, able to send kids through college, raise five kids. What I'm saying is that there there are job losses that we have to be honest about. Now the question is, how do we reconfigure an economy where it's not you either at the top or you at the bottom, and a few folks in between. Yeah, and, and we're already seeing the implications of this shift. This is not necessarily something that's only going to happen, as you mentioned, 30, 40 years from now. We're seeing it now in our daily interactions. And what's happening in real life is that you have people who are well-educated people who are now trying to balance two jobs to be able to make ends meet at a level that a generation ago they could have done even probably better than that with just one job based on their level of education. And in terms of just being able to, I, I, I like the, I, I would love to be able to say just sort of, um, and we do to some point need to be able to adjust to this new economy, but the reality is that there is a digital divide in this nation. I come from a very rural area. To this day, there is no cable in my home. When I, like, go home to visit my mom, there's no cable there, okay? So there are millions of people in this nation who don't even have access to the bare minimum just in terms of being able to take advantage of technology to the point that they can master it to some level to be able to monetize it. I mean, mean, look, Derek, I mean, there were... I mean, the reality is that the 
advance of the advance of African Americans into the middle class in this country, coming out of the depths of Jim Crow and poverty, was largely a result of industrial era era, uh, era jobs, where you had black men and black women who didn't have college degrees, but who were able to go work at Ford, at Chrysler, at General Motors, were able to work at other different places, making 40, 45, 50, 60,000, 70,000, overtime, 80,000, whatever, and able to, again, feed their family, buy homes, all of that. Our economy has shifted. Mm -hmm. And it's been such a massive loss of those jobs that, again, and so in an era where more people were going to college, now building up debt, which is why, which is why the student loan debt issue is huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am not, I'm not there on free college. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm not there on free college is because, again, there's a cost to free college, which somebody has to pay, mm-hmm. and you better figure out how you're going to pay for that cost. But I also do believe that a big part of this, there has to be, if this nation had a savings and loan crisis, some of y'all know what the hell I'm talking about, (laughs) just Google it, where you had billions in assets that were sold off for pennies on the dollar. If we bailed out banks to the tune of 20-some-odd billion, Mm -hmm. Trump has already given these farmers almost $30 billion dollars. This nation has to confront student loan debt because that is, I think, a significant drag on this economy and on this issue right here. I think it's going to, the same way we had a housing bust in 08, I think the same thing is going to happen with with these student loans if we don't do something about it, because it is a crisis right now, and it's disproportionately affecting low-income and minority students, blacks in particular. Oh, yeah. African-Americans are coming. I mean, our debt is twice that of whites coming out of college and not make as much as they're making. So you're exa- so you absolutely, absolutely exacerbating. And I think that this artificial intelligence thing, it's not just, it's not just affecting blacks, but it's low income, it's right. all its minorities, it's rural, people in rural, rural communities, as she just stated, and, and senior citizens. And, and to Robert's point, I think we, doing a great, you gotta do a great job of bring, putting this kind of stuff on and bringing it to light so people know about it, because most blacks probably don't even know about this thing right here. Again, because you got eight black cable networks that don't show any damn news shows. I was <laughs> I was in Atlanta airport about two months ago, and um, I was ordering food, and I was able to walk up and get it, just put the number, boom, 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 put it in and go get your food. And I said to the manager, I said, man, what is this doing to all the jobs? Right. His, his, his comeback to me was, well, we still got people that's got to make the food. And it made me feel like I was an idiot for asking about the jobs that have been lost. And it was all throughout the entire Atlanta airport. Oh, yeah. But you have so many people who don't think or think about the, the jobs that are being lost because they think about the, the still the food has to be produced, it has to be, and then all this kind of thing. But it's a lot of people who are lost behind yep. this whole thing. You have to think about, you do have to think about, again, that, that the, what those jobs were and how you were able, uh, how people were able to work and feed. It's just, it is a shift that is real that we have to, that we have to own up and be honest about yeah. what is happening and what it also has done to the point about how black men are impacted. It's now made it perfectly clear you, got, you, you can't survive with just a high school diploma. Right. 
you've got to get a college-level degree, and now debt now also now comes into play. Robert, final comment. All right, uh, two points. One, uh, we're not going to go back to that post-war economy. Not happening. The, right. the reason is... Not happening. The, the reason that we had the post-war economy is because Europe and Japan and China were all flat. They didn't have any buildings, they didn't have any people, so that's why we were able to have the entirety of world production be in the United States of America, because we survived the war unscathed. But, but on, on the point... Yeah, because all they shit got blown up. Exactly. Not ours. Not right. ours. So we're not going to go back to that unless we have another war. Let's not do that. Uh, but on the other point, I think that we under, now that we understand what the playing field is, we've known since the Jetsons, when they had Rosie the robot made, that robots were going to start taking jobs. We have to start teaching people for the jobs of the future. We have to start understanding that college degree is worth less now than probably at any point yep. in the last uh, 50 years because so many people have them. So many people went and hit in college and in grad school during the Great Recession that now jobs are looking for work experience. They're looking for certification. You can get uh, knowledge on the internet that can give you the experience and the certifications you need to get those jobs in the tech field. Yep. Let's stop just preaching to people, go get that job at the, uh, I don't know, work in the loading docks. Those jobs don't exist anymore. No, nope. gone. Jobs of the future. Gone. The area... The area, let me tell you something. Uh, two areas, real quick. One most important, health care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I don't care what... That, that has been consistently in the last decade number one, number two in terms of job creation. But number two, which is also tied to health care, let me tell you something. Y'all need to go get you a job in physical therapy. I'm being... If you, let me tell you something right now. If you got a kid who does not really, really, really want to be in that four-year school... Tell your kid your ass can become a physical therapist. <laughs> Here's I'm, I'm trying to tell you, okay? I had I had a torn right labrum, 2012. I had to have surgery. I had to do rehab. I also done rehab in my so, so shoulders. I've been in rehab two or three different times. Jam packed. Yes, it is. Why? Cause we're not doing most stupid shit. <laughs> we'll talk about check. Yo, more Americans are jumping their asses out of planes, skiing, rock climbing, uh, all that, all that. Let me just all that crazy shit. A whole bunch, even black people doing some of this crazy shit. Okay, <laughs> and what's happening? They breaking shit. Yeah, you still got dudes. Y'all know some of these black guys. 45 years old, still think they Michael Jordan. They ass is open. <laughs> blowing ACLs, blowing Achilles. Rotator cuffs. Rotator cuffs. <laughs> they, all of that. Sound like you got personal history. Yeah, I do. All of that. <laughs> they ass is gonna need rehab for six, nine months. Every time I go to rehab, yo, packed. I was like, man, if my ass was not a journalist right. and I was trying to figure out, I would be solely focused on opening a rehab joint. I'm telling you. It's the real deal. All right, y'all. Let's talk about South Carolina Democratic Jamie Harrison, who's seeking to challenge Republican Senator Lindsey Graham in uh, that state, has raised more than $7.5 million, the highest any Senate Democratic challenger has posted in South Carolina history. Real quick, folks, is this a sign that South Carolina could turn blue? Absolutely. Well, I think what we have to understand... You say yes? There's been an exodus from uh, major blue states. So if you look at Illinois, I think they lost 500,000 in population. New York has lost population. Connecticut, California, they're all moving to red states because they have lower taxes, lower regulations, better jobs. You can't keep folks from moving to Atlanta. Like, we got to fight them out of Atlanta. But with that, (laughs) 
you have a demographic shift which is taking place where we're having more and more affluent liberal African Americans. The same way that Virginia turned blue because Northern Virginia jobs coming from D.C., you're seeing more Southern states. Look, Stacey Abrams lost by 2%. Uh, Gillum lost by 1.5% in Florida. South Carolina is a 35% black state. The, the South can absolutely turn blue. I just think it's going to take a effort by Democrats in the South to understand that it's okay for your blue to be black. And that's been the bigger issue. Davis. Mm. Ditto. Absolutely <laughs> the case. I mean, Lindsey Graham, he hits in trouble. If you're looking at the not only the, the fundraising, but the polling there, it's virtually tied between the it two. Is. And his challenger, quite frankly, is in terms of elected office, he's a political novice. And so the fact that you have this brother who is really new to elected politics, who is this close to Lindsey Graham, who is very unpopular in the state, by the way, shows to me that there's a huge possibility that it's going to be flipping. The Senate could be flipping uh, in terms of its senatorial representation from South Carolina. I think all elections are going to be tight. One or two points are going to decide it. But I do think Lindsey Graham, for the first time, could be in trouble with this guy right here. And because he's so supportive of the president right now, and it's, uh, it's not a good time. Lindsey Graham gonna beat Jamie. Okay. This still South Carolina. <laughs> okay. Y'all can sit here and say, South Carolina ain't changed that damn much. The, whole, the, 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 only, the only way Jamie is able to beat Lindsey Graham, and this has to happen, okay? The question is, are you gonna see the quarter of a million black people who sit their ass at home, who are unregistered and don't vote in South Carolina, will they vote? Two, are you gonna see a sharp drop, and I mean 10, 15 points of white women who voted with Trump, are they going to also flee Lindsey Graham? Republicans have been getting killed in the suburbs. That's going to be the real issue there. Are you going to see those level of turnout numbers? That's what it boils down to. But I got to keep reminding people, look, America's still a white country. Yes. The last election, 71 to 72% of the voting electorate were white. This election likely will be the first time in American history less than 70% of the voters will be white. In order for the, him to win, black people are going to have to vote at higher numbers. Not can he get 90, 95% of the black vote. Same thing with SP in Mississippi. No. Can you turn out more bodies? Right. Which is why I keep trying to tell these young voters, tweeting don't do shit. You got to actually vote. Mm -hmm. And so right now, it has to be mobilization and organization to register people then the second piece, we got primaries coming up, but the real deal is, is to get them registered before the deadline, and after you register them, get them to the polls. Yeah. It's, it's a two-step process for the people who keep focusing on registration and not mobilization. And turnout, look, you gotta have both. Mm -hmm. All right, y'all, let's do, okay, y'all know what time it is. I ain't been, I ain't been, I've been gone a while. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, y'all, this is our final story. Elections in Kentucky, a Pizza Hut worker actually told a customer she spit in her food. Sheree Bledsoe said she and her roommates ordered online from Pizza Hut and unknowingly left nine-cent tip for the delivery driver. Sheree, who is black, said the employee was enraged at the tip and began calling them while shouting racial slurs. They also sent these text messages. Was that good food? Best believe it was spit in. Mm. Everyone knows what to do when that address and number come up. You fuck with the wrong food place, niggas. 
You're the type that should be hung. Come here and kiss my feet. It will get spit in every single time. Don't forget your phone number and address is saved. Fucking dumbass. Hmm. Well, Pizza Hut, of course, apologize. And Pizza Hut Becky's job is now open. <laughs> Lord, I'm sure perfect. it is. That's crazy. Becky's not I'm, very bright, is she? But I keep, no, Becky ain't bright. But I keep telling everybody, <laughs> I appreciate white folks showing, the crazy white people, showing who they are. And I'm telling you, in Lexington, Kentucky, y'all should be 50 black people going to that Pizza Hut applying for Becky's job. There's some black folks in Lexington, well, you, too. You, you know There's what a lot I, of I black folks say, there. Instead of applying for Becky's job, how about 50 black folks pull some money, buy some ovens and some pizza sauce and yes. some yeast, and start slinging pizzas right next door to it I'm and fine put it out of business? I'm fine with Agreed. that. Agreed. I, we can do both. I'm saying, every time one of these craziest white people lose their mind and lose their job, I'm telling you, I need another 1.9 million white folks to keep losing their mind. They could end black unemployment <laughs> all by themselves. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. All right, y'all. Y'all want to support Roadmark on the Filter? Please do so by joining our Brenda Funk fan club. You can pay via Cash App, Square, or PayPal. You get discounts, of course, uh, to books and other items on RolandSmartin.com. Uh, uh, look, folks, this is an independent black-owned show. The reason we're able to have these conversations is because of your support for what we do. I want to thank the folks uh, who've given on YouTube. Uh, name is not coming up, uh, but I certainly appreciate it. You can give there. So it's, it's 2,000 folks who are watching right now on YouTube. Imagine this. If every person watching right now on YouTube gave 10 bucks, you will completely fund this show for the entire month. That's why our voices matter. And I told y'all, eight black targeted networks, not a single one has 1,344 hours a week. They've got an hour of news. That's right, eight. You're going to have reality shows, love shows, crime shows, old-ass sitcoms, all that sort of stuff but not the information that can empower you and inform you, enlighten you as well. So that's why we do what we do. Uh, why does it matter, folks? I think tomorrow I'm interviewing Deval Patrick, who's running for president, I think. Uh, today I got reached out, folks have called me from the campaigns uh, of Pete Buttigieg, of Bernie Sanders. We get A-list guests on this show, and there's no other show like it. So all them other people out here who run around claiming they got, they, they, they got uh, a black media shows, Y'all know those shows ain't real. We got to have top guests, quality guests, real conversation, and real information, and not somebody just talking behind a microphone. No, this is about us empowering you with information. So please support what we do by joining our Bring the Funk fan club. The goal is to get 20,000 members, 50 bucks a year, $4.19 a month, 13 cents a day. That's all it costs. That's what it matters for us to have our own thing. All right, I got to go. Holla! From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. If 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.